Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Well, here we are in on week three of Jonah. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to imagine with me for just a moment that all of us are going back to the year 1911. Is anyone around? No? That was just a test. <laughs> Put your hand down. Uh, I, I'm, I think it's safe to say that no one here was probably around in 1911 or maybe even thought of in 1911. But I want you to go back to me on Christmas Eve 1911. Long time ago. And General William Booth had a standing Christmas tradition. The same thing he did on Christmas Eve every year is that he would give a Christmas charge to his troops, a Christmas message to his soldiers and his officers out in the field. But this year, in 1911, he wanted to reach the masses, as many of his troops as physically possible. And so he decided that he will use a brand new form of technology that he will send the army world a telegram. And so he began to pin down what his Christmas message is going to be and he started writing it out. And it came out to be about one paragraph. He felt good about it. And so he went to the operator, and as he said, here, send this out, he quickly found out how expensive it was to send out each word on the message. So, not wanting to take any money away from the mission, he then decided to cut back on some of his words. So he took the back, and he, he brought it down to three sentences. No, that was still too much, Okay. Then he brought it down to two sentences, and it was still a little high. So then he brought it down to one. No, not one sentence, one word. He brought it down to one word. His Christmas message to the entire army in 1911 was just one word. And once the word was given to the operator, he sent it out across the world. And Booth's one-word message was received by soldiers and officers in the east, in the west, in the north, in the south. And when opened, the message read, others. That would become actually Booth's last Christmas message. And just short eight months after that was sent out, the general laid down his sword. He was promoted to glory. But it only took one word, one word, to inspire in an entire army to stay focused and to remember what all of this is all about. Others. And what we're going to see today as we go into chapter 3 in Jonah is that we're going to see the, that the power of a message is not found in its length, on how many words it is. But we're going to find, we're going to see that the power 
of a message is found in the one who inspires it. So let's go back and let's pay a visit to our kind and wonderful prophet friend, Jonah. I'm sure things are probably looking a little different for him right now. But before we look in there, let's have a word of prayer. God, we just want to take this moment right now specifically and pray for this message. That Lord, no, I don't pray that I come up here and say fancy words, but God, that, that your gospel truth, that your words are being spoken in chapter 3 today. God, I pray this every week, and I mean that if I say anything that's incorrect, that is not of your scripture, of your word, then correct me, Lord, so that way we can walk out of here together, that we know what the God of the universe wants from us. So, Father, I just pray now, be with us in these words, so that way we walk away with understanding of your scripture. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we left off in chapter 2 last week with Jonah, who had just taken the ride of his life. I mean, can, what a story he has in his back pocket now. That he has spent three days in the belly of a fish. I mean, that is a story. And it was, and not to mention that, but he was safely delivered to the very location in which he was fleeing from. Not only, would have, not only was I in the belly of a fish, but now you literally delivered me to the place I was trying to get away from. And you might, you might think that this story is coming to an end. That this, I mean, this is enough of a story. That you get swallowed by a fish, survive it, and it delivers you safely to, de to your destination. But No. It isn't the, the end of this story. See, we begin chapter 3 of Jonah at the place we should have started at the beginning of chapter 1. We shouldn't have gone through chapter 2, but because of Jonah's disobedience and stubbornness, perhaps, we had to take a little side trip, a little side story. And now at the beginning of chapter 3, we are at the exact same place we start in chapter 1, which is a command from the Lord to Jonah. It's the exact same command that he gave Jonah in chapter 1. God hasn't forgotten. He didn't put it on hold. He hasn't abandoned his redemption plan because Jonah decided to flee from it. No. God still wanted Jonah to deliver the message to the people of Nineveh. That hasn't changed. And we see Jonah in chapter 3. Who's going to do just that? Scripture says that he obeyed. And he went to Nineveh. Now understand. In all my research, in my reading and interpretation of this story of Jonah in chapter 3. That understand that Jonah's opinion of the mission hasn't changed. It's not that, okay, Lord, you have convinced me. It's, okay, Lord, you put me literally in the belly of a fish and then delivered me across the ocean over here, dropped me off front seat. I get it. I'm going to go and deliver your message. I think he still would actually rather see the city fall and burn, personally. But remember that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at the time, the most dangerous, evil, and nasty people on the earth, the most savage, according to history is the Assyrian Empire. Even more so than the Roman, because the Romans considered themselves civilized. The Assyrians did not. They just did the job to get what they wanted. 
Now, Nineveh, up to this point in history, has been a thorn in the side of both Israel and Judah. Both the, the north and southern kingdoms of Israel, Assyria has been just a thorn in their side. The prophet Nahum, in his book, in fact, just a few books later, goes and back, in fact, he spends the entire book, his entire time as a prophet, focusing on this nation, on this city, Nineveh. He just talks about how horrible they are and that they need to listen to the Lord. And so he spends his whole time. That, that when, then when the Assyrians would conquer a new nation, when they would go in and break ground into a new nation, here's what they would do. They would go and round up the leaders of the nation, the kings or whoever the nobles were. They would round them up and bring them before their own people. And then they would torture them in front of them, mutilate them, and then they would execute them all before their nation. And then the king of Assyria would say, you are now my people. You are now my land. These are now my property. It was said that their military strategy, the Assyrian military strategy, was one of the best in world's history. That the principles, not necessarily the acts, but some of the principles of the Assyrian nation are actually still used in militaries across the world today. See, they would instill fear into their I guess, where they were attacking or conquering, they would instill fear by penetrating the national leaders, the nobles of that land, with a spear. They would impel it with a spear, and then what they would do is take that, once they were dead, and they would post it by the, front, by the gate of Nineveh. They would just post it there with them still on the spear. And so it would be a very common sight that when you saw Nineveh from the distance, there would be spears lining up the gates instilling fear into the people who are walking in through. I was reading that from the British Museum, in fact, that some of those uh, artifacts are even in a British Museum to be seen today. Even the Greeks, we want to take a little break from our, our tradition, I guess, even the Greeks pinned down in their writings. They refer to Nineveh as the city of the lawless and of the ruined. I'm taking people didn't like this place. And it's very likely that right here at the beginning of chapter 3, at the beginning of this journey, now Jonah's being delivered there, that it is very likely that when Jonah approached the city, that he saw his own people, dead by spear, posted at the front gate. Just another reminder of why he doesn't like this city. And it would probably be my best guess that Jonah wasn't the only one that wanted to see them burn. I'm sure he wasn't alone in that thought, and I'm sure he wouldn't. I, I'm, in fact, I'm sure he would say, if I'm just not going to go, his nation's probably not going to go say anything about it. They're probably just going to sit there and go, yeah, okay, we kinda, we're with you on that one. We don't like these guys. But we also know that Nineveh was not a small town. It wasn't tiny. The scripture says that it would take three days to get through the whole city. If you were to enter that gate and go through the city, it would take you three days. Scripture says that when Jonah entered Nineveh, that when he took his step and he passed the front gate and all the horrendous things that were probably posted there, and he walked in, Scripture says that Jonah actually only entered 
one day's worth into the city. That after one day, Jonah, maybe, I don't know, maybe he was tired of seeing the sin, the evil, and the corruption. And he decided that this was far enough. That one day's worth of, Lord, I hear you, I know the message, well, I'm just going in one day. And I'm going to stop right here. And this, uh, when I was reading through this and I was writing this down, this reminded me of Abraham when he walked through Sodom. When he was going through that journey with the Lord. But except unlike Abraham in this scenario, Jonah did everything he could to run from what was about to happen when Abraham was embracing it every step of the way. But here he is. Here's Jonah. In the most dangerous, powerful, and corrupt city in the world. And I'm sure he's thinking right now that whatever God has to say to these people will only make them mad. And I'm the guy that's going to be here that has to take that. Because I'm sure Jonah was like worried about his life, worried about what, what, it, what, what it, he was about to say would come out of his mouth, that if they didn't like the message, if they didn't actually like what he was going to say, you usually start by killing the messenger, right? Because that's how they send a message. And I'm sure Jonah had no intention to join his comrades on the spears outside of the gate that day. But nonetheless... He's here, and it is now time. And so Jonah shouted to the people of Nineveh, right there in his boots, I guess, these words. These five Hebrew words. This is Jonah's entire sermon. This right here. That is all he said. And upon hearing these words, the people of Nineveh who heard them immediately believed. The people who heard these words immediately, right there on the spot, called for a fast among their nation. And, he, and, and they spoke to each other and said, put sackcloth on you now. That they heard these words, they said, we must fast and as for forget, humble ourselves with sackcloth, bowing to greatness based off of these five words. Now keep in mind, the message hasn't even reached the king yet. The king doesn't know anything. This is just the people of Nineveh who have heard these words and are fasting and covering themselves in sackcloth, bowing down to the greatness of what this message is. I'm sure Jonah right now is going, what is going on? What is happening? And then finally... The message reaches the king. These five words reaches the king. And you would think that he would go down and investigate who this strange man is in my city, in my kingdom, because something here smells fishy, pun intended there. Smells fishy. This guy is, who is this guy? But the scripture says that the king does not do that. That upon hearing these five words, Scripture says that he immediately arose from his throne and he took off his royal robes. The most dangerous, evil, corrupt king on the planet took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth, an act 
of humbling himself before a greater king. And then it says he went one step further. He went and kneeled down and covered himself with dust, with dirt all around, kneeling down. What message could have Jonah possibly given to make the king of Nineveh fall to his knees without even a single fight or force? That an immediate act of humility and surrender to the king. Translated to English, Jonah's message becomes seven words which read, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the king fell to his knees. And after the king humbled himself, as soon as he realized that he was submitting to a greater power and authority, he then stood up and he gave a proclamation, a decree. It says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgency, urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? I love how he puts a question in his proclamation. Another sign of a king being humble before a greater power. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And in my research about this proclamation, I don't know why, king, I think it's the boy in me that likes kings and you know, knights and then round, round tables and these things. But I was like, well, okay, he made a king's decree, a king's proclamation. So I was looking into that. And what I found is that this, this particular proclamation was a little different than the usual king's decree. Because this proclamation includes animals. Not just his citizens, not just his realm. He included the livestock, the flocks. He included the sheep and the cows and the cattle. All This is included in his actual decree. Something that is not common to do, if ever he's ever done it before. That this is evidence of a king's urgency to this matter. That not only will we fast, which is what he's calling them to do, is that not only will we fast, will we stop eating, will we deny ourselves nutrition, but we're actually going to deny the very things that source us these things. That, the, that nutrition comes from these animals, that these, they provide us life-sustainable things, and we're going to deny them. They're going to fast as well, is what the king is saying. An image... An image of a mighty king being humble before the power and the might of God. This king is trying to save his nation and his people. And he's pleading, he's pleading with God to forgive us and our evil nation. And the last verse in chapter 3, as that chapter comes to an end, tells us that God heard his cry. And it says that he had compassion on the people of Nineveh and retreated his threat 
from their nation. Hmm. Was it Jonah's words that made a nation fall to their knees? Or the fact that God was already there preparing their hearts to receive the message of redemption to begin with. There is nothing logical that says that an entire nation should have responded in the way they did with these five words. Nothing logical says that that's what they should have done. But church, we must be reminded that no matter where we are, who we are, what God asks us to do, that God goes before us. We have to be reminded of this. That God was saying, Jonah, do you think I, I need you to say these five words? You see, I am the power, I am the almighty God. He was reminding Jonah, right, and the nation of Israel and Judah, that I am the great I am. That I have the authority over these kings. They will humble themselves. They will bow down before me. But I need my people to stand beside me. Show them my mind. Be a voice. Be a communicator of my love and my grace. Jonah, will you do that? No, Lord, I won't. But I guess I'll do it reluctantly. And so here the Lord is saving a nation. He sends his people to places where he is already at. And you don't have to be a scholar, a theologian, or even a smooth talker. All God needs is a willing heart. That's all he needs. It's just a willing heart, a willing soul. The end result didn't change for Jonah. It didn't change. Nineveh was saved. That was the original plan from the very beginning. And what we have right here is a story of a prophet who didn't want to save these people. That's what we have. There's a prophet who didn't want to save these people. Who didn't want to see redemption brought upon this city. But then what we see in chapter 3 is a prophet who realizes that he doesn't get to pick who God saves. That's a very important thing to remember. Is that God is the Savior. He's the Redeemer. This was true then, and it is still true today. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.